Welcome to Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast and everything you need to know to ride like a pro. Hello everyone and welcome to Fast Talk. I'm your host, Chris Case. Today in episode 95, we talk in depth about the humble tire. Often neglected, frequently misunderstood, the lowly tire is a much more complicated piece of equipment than many people know. Today, with the help of two very talented technical gurus, Leonard Zinn and Nick Legan, we explain the complexities of the tire, tire pressure, and how those things lead to changes in comfort, grip, rolling resistance, and much, much more. So, get your silk tubulars ready. But whatever you do, don't pump them up to 180 PSI. Let's make you fast. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you in the studio with us, Leonard. I like to call you a legend, and that's because you are a legend, and you know so much about so many things in the bicycling world. Today, I know... This is going to be um, at times a little technical, at times hopefully a lot practical. It's something that you've, in a sense, researched for years, both in Finland, in the Microback Laboratory right down the street from us. So you have a wealth of knowledge on the art, Zen in the art of tire pressure is what we're calling this episode. It's all about how pressure inside the tire affects everything from comfort to speed to ride quality. There's the physics of that. There's the the practical nature of that. So we really want to dive into that topic. For those of us who ride cyclocross, I think the effects on ride quality and grip and all of these things are readily apparent based on tire pressure because we mess with it a lot. We run with we run really low pressures. So people that are comfortable in that space have done some cyclocross and have played with that, know uh, a bit about what we're talking about. I think there's a lot of other people that don't do that or are sort of like, 110 PSI on my 23s, that's the way to go, sort of stuck in a, in a rut or stuck in that mentality. So we want to break some myths today. We want to just open people's minds and hearts to the art of tire pressure. Okay. Uh, I love that you said stuck in the mindset of 110 PSI. Leonard and I can both talk about the days when people were looking for tubulars that could pump up to 180 because 160 (laughs) wasn't enough. Well, there's that too, yes. Yeah, I I pretty much always used silk tubulars at 135 PSI. I thought that was the thing for racing. I raced all kinds of big races with that and... God, when I think about how much harder I was working than I needed to now. Seems yeah. like you are at, at, at effectively defeating the purpose of running a nice, supple tire. I was, yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. So <laughs> you got all that silk there, and then yeah. you basically turned it into concrete. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Knock your teeth out. That's right. Most people probably don't really think too much about tires. They think, oh, I put it on my wheel, I pump it up. And I ride. But they're actually a little bit more complicated than that. And there's a lot of variables involved. There's the construction, there's the width, there's the tread pattern, there's the the 
the construction affects a lot of things because it, it has to do with whether it's um, not only are we talking tubular versus tubeless versus um, tubed or clincher, but vulcanized versus non, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, just give us a sense of how actually complicated the tire is. Well, yeah, the tire is pretty complicated. It's made up of a of of many parts of the casing and whatever is constraining the t- the air inside, whether it's an inner tube or if it's a tubeless tire, if it's just a, a thick coating of of rubber on the inside of the casing or that with tire sealant sloshing around in it. Then you have the tread itself and how it's attached to the to tire and what the tread is made out of. They're engineers that spend their whole careers just mixing different things into latex or into a synthetic rubber compound to try and reduce the the energy loss in it, reduce the hysteresis of it. Yeah, there are tire, tire nerds in this world. Yeah. Yes. Tread, tread, <laughs> tread compound nerds. nerds. <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, and that, that can be a big deal. The average person is not going to be sensitive enough to to really be able to tell fine differences between between rolling resistance of different tires. So it's kind of easy to just keep just, oh yeah, I just pump my tires up and go until, you know, it's pretty obvious to you if you get on a mountain bike with, especially like a fat bike with like four inch tires on it and you go riding down a smooth road you're clear you're working a lot harder rumbling along with that than when you're on a really nice tire on a road bike. And it's not, I'm talking also at low speed where it's not just an aerodynamic difference, but, but really the, just the rolling resistance, you can feel that, um, when it gets finer and finer. I mean, people, roadies could be familiar with, you know, their, their tires that are made to really completely be resistant to, to puncture so they'll have they'll have a casing made out of an aramid fully aramid casing which basically means that the tires the casing is made out of kevlar instead of out of cotton or nylon or one of the other the other materials that's used to make the casing with and kevlar is just some really stiff stuff you've got this kevlar fibers and maybe that benefits you if you're in a place where you've got horrible problem with thorns and and in the end you'd be faster cuz you're not stopping to change, right. to fix your tire all the time but but really the tires like that holy smokes most you know people that ride a lot can tell the difference between riding one of those tires puncture proof tires and riding a a nice tire and or a solid tire for instance that's another example of a tire that's really slow to roll yeah, and all of these things that we're talking about, the construction, the width, the the pressure, they all they go hand in hand with and it's a balancing act between comfort, speed, durability, ride quality, all of those things. So that's why I say it's it's complicated. It's you, you could just and a lot of people do, just get any old tire, put your uh gator skins on there that will never puncture and they're fine with that. That's great. But there are tires that will make it, it it's like a, an entirely different world when you get on a nice supple tire 
and have it at the appropriate pressure and width and all of that and it's like a, a glorious thing and it's much easier to keep up with your friends <laughs> right well there you go yes you don't have to have an e-bike at that yeah, point to keep up yeah. with your friends just yeah. use better tires okay leonard i think it would be helpful for you to define some terms related to tire pressure i think one that's critical with with talking about tires and tire performance is to discuss hysteresis Anybody that's taken elementary physics has run into it, but it usually wasn't talking about rubber. It was talking about magnets, magnetism, and the oblong curve that is created by hysteresis, which has to do with basically a lag between the applied force and the resultant action. And in the case of rubber, it's because it's an elastic material. And when I say rubber, I'm referring to tread compounds. And I know companies want to talk about their proprietary tread compound and whatever, and it's not rubber or whatever, but basically it's rubber. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. And uh, when you apply a force to rubber, there's this delay because it's elastic. Once you pushed it far enough, then it starts moving. But then when you release the force, you don't get all the energy back. There's a delay in returning it. And so a hysteresis curve, instead of being like a line that goes out and comes straight back on the same line, it follows two different paths out and back. Creating a loop. Creating a loop. And that loop, the wider that loop is, is the greater the energy loss in that in that. Uh, cycle and so when the tires rolling along the ground how that's there's this lag between the tire reacting to the force of the ground uh, is applying on it and then there's a, a bump or some some yeah divot in the surface even just the in asphalt you know there's all the little Ripples, little particles yeah. in the asphalt that are all stuck together and um just in in conforming to those and then and then returning to its original shape each one of those back and forth there's a little bit of energy loss and obviously if you're trying to propel a bike the most efficiently then you're trying to minimize any energy losses you can and that's one of them the root word here perhaps is hysteria does that does that does that does that help people envision what's going on inside a tire? Perhaps I don't know. I don't even know if that's that's the correct uh, root word. But to me, it makes me think of hysteria or hysterical. Like there's a lot of confusing energy going on inside a tire if you continue to have it hit up against obstacles of one size or another. That's kind of how I envision this because. It's a technical, physical process, but if you just think of sort of like hysteria, maybe it makes a little more sense to people. How does how does that relate to internal friction? Well, sort of one and the same thing: hysteresis and internal internal friction. That that's that's the frictional resistance of a tire rolling without slipping is all about it. There's there's all these parts of a tire. You have the casing and the tread compound and the and and if it's like a handmade tire would be glued to that 
casing, whereas a vulcanized tire, the whole thing is all is all molded together in one piece. Uh, but you'd have this interaction between all those things. There's hysteresis in the tread compound in the in the rubber tread, but there's also there's also energy loss in the in the uh, deflection and return of the tire casing. The threads are all either stuck together very tightly in a vulcanized tire or they're more free to move independently and 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 if they're if they're finer threads then then those are able to move with back and forth with less less energy loss than ones that are big and thick that uh, it's not only more mass but they're but they're just stiffer so to make them move and then and then they're coated with rubber so returning their whole elasticity hysteresis loss is part of that so um, that's the internal friction that we're talking about really is that hysteresis curve yep. so i don't understand the science nearly as well as you but the way it was explained to me that i kind of had a aha i kind of get that is there is a contact area with the ground how much of the the tire is actually touching the ground at any any given point and that contact area is actually remarkably consistent whether you're using a 21 23 25 seat tire so if you are using a a narrower tire there actually needs to be more deformation of the tire to get that same contact area with the ground and every time you're deforming the tire like that as you said you lose a little energy after the tire, that part of the tire leaves the ground and tries to return to its original shape. Think about if you were to zoom in on a tire that's pumped up really hard and it's going over a rough surface, then the, the, the tire is not deforming to meet that obstacle in such a way so that the bike is having to travel up and over each one of those things more so than if you're riding a a, a tire that's wider or lower pressure and is able to absorb those things and it you're going to get to this term too the, the sprung the weight sprung versus weight the sprung weight, weight yes. isn't having to be lifted over each of those bumps with with every time the the wheel hits one of those small obstacles again for zooming in on this tire as it hits the ground or a rock or a pebble or a divot or whatever the case may be again if it's really hard, it's traveling up and over every one of those little things more so than if it's just kind of smushing and absorbing all that stuff. Is that right? Exactly. Yes, that's right. And 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 I think an an easy way to to think of it is to think about it on a much bigger scale and to think about suspension. So on a mountain bike, I think everybody that's ridden a mountain bike a lot has a very clear sense of how they get a they, if they're going to go down a steep, super rough trail, and they're on a bike with a lot of suspension travel, first of all, it's a much smoother ride going down. And when they get to the bottom, their their wrists and sh shoulders and arms and triceps aren't completely beat. They don't have that itchy feeling to their arms from having <laughs> right, yep, right. tried to control it the whole time. But they also generally would go faster because the tire the tire is able to stay on the ground the whole time and and the person isn't having to absorb all of this energy of the bike coming up and going back down and up and down instead the only thing that's going up and down the sprung weight is now much lower 
percentage of the entire weight of the bike and rider, the sprung weight is now just the front tire, I mean the front wheel and the lower part of the fork that moves up and down on the fork stanchions. And in the rear, it's just the rear wheel and the rear chainstay, the, the swing arm as we call it, moving up and down. And so that's a much smaller amount of mass that goes up and down than the whole bike and rider. So less energy is lost with you know, the same amount of gravitational forces working on the bike and rider, but the bike and rider go faster because there's less energy loss and bouncing the whole thing up and down. And when you then think of, okay, well, what about a, about a fat bike? People that are familiar with fat bikes, you can ride a fat bike with like five inch tires and no suspension. You can go pretty fast on one of those with really, really low tire pressure, like four PSI or two PSI on a, on a rough surface. And because the sprung weight is now only the amount of tire that moves up and down until, until the, the, the size of the bump exceeds, you know, probably half the, half the width of, of the tire, then, then it'll lift the whole bike and rider. And so it's not going to be as fast on a really rough course as a fully suspended bike, but, but you can get the sense of how just this little amount of rubber and casing material is moving up and down and the, and the rest of the bike and riders just going in a straight line. And so then on a road bike that is also happening, it's just on a much more microscopic scale where, where you have the tire absorbing the little imperfections in the road or not. And then when you go to the opposite extreme and you think of like you're riding in, on polished marble or glass, <laughs> then the fastest thing is going to be have your tire pumped up really, really hard. There, then, then what you're trying to do is is minimize the length of this of the uh, contact patch so that there's less deflection of the tire, and then you have less energy loss than if you if you have a softer tire, and then every 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 bit of tire that rolls past has to squish down considerably more in order to make that contact patch bigger, like I said, because the number of pounds per square inch is lower. That's why track riders still would, would, would run really high pressures because effectively the, the surface of a track, most tracks, most yeah. good tracks, is very smooth. Yep. Not that marble smooth, but close to it. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And that's why they use smaller tires too, smaller, you know, little tiny 19 millimeter tires or something like that. Also because they don't have to, they don't require this bigger contact patch in order for cornering because on a track, yeah. the, the banking of the track does the cornering for you. You're essentially riding in a straight line. You don't have to mm -hmm. have to deal with that. Getting into the, the practical side of this, let's talk a little bit about what this means in terms of um, rolling resistance, for instance speed, comfort, these types of things. How does um, pressure affect those attributes? Well, I think everybody has a sense that the lower the pressure you have, the more comfortable the ride will be. And where you wouldn't notice a difference is similar like when we, what we just talked about. If you're riding on polished marble or glass, there would be really no difference because you're not getting bounced around even at really, really high pressure. Your comfort is related to how much you're getting bounced up and down. And, you know, this whole thing where, 
you know, when I was a little kid and you'd see runners, the, the fastest runners in the world in, in the Olympics in the 100 meter dash, they were just wearing little short, loose shorts. And now they're all wearing like really tight, long lycra, lycra shorts. And the idea is to minimize the vibration of their muscles and, and, and that, they're, that they're more efficient the less their muscles are getting bounced around. That same thing applies on the bike. And so comfort is, I think that's a pretty good gauge of that it's pretty directly related to efficiency of the bike moving down the road or trail. Chris sat down and asked Shimano's road brand manager, Nick Legan, his perspective on tire pressure. First thing I want to ask you, since you have so much history as a mechanic working for the best in the world at the pro tour level, um, for some really big teams racing in Europe who probably have some bias towards what they should do with tire pressure, all the way to today, that's a almost probably two decades uh, of evolution in how people think of think about tire pressure. How have you seen the thought process change around that, you know, very particular yeah. subject? It, it's absolutely changed. And I would argue that, uh, in fact, my world tour experience um, was kind of prior to some of this more recent learning on CRR, rolling resistance, and really data-driven decisions. Mm -hmm. um, I think Josh Portner, you know, with Silka has done a lot of research in this in this realm. Uh, Tom Onholt has done quite a bit of um, rolling resistance testing at home. And I've followed that with fascination. You know, when I was a, a pro mechanic, we, we ran pretty high pressures. Um, we ran tubulars all the time. You know, we now know that in, in a lot of instances, a, a clincher tire or a tubeless tire can be faster. We now know that wider tires can be beneficial. Right. Um, I'm not going to say always. Um, and we also know that tire pressure, that the, the brain can, can misconstrue sensations that we feel when mm -hmm. riding a bike as yeah. fast. Right. And that's not necessarily the case. Essentially, what the way I look at it is, if you feel your tire doing something, it's probably not at the right pressure. And when it disappears, you're probably getting closer mm -hmm. to optimal. When it's more supple and it's absorbing a lot of that surface, whatever that surface might be. Absolutely. Rough gravel, pavement Road. that isn't as smooth as you really think it is. That mountain biking, even. Mountain I mean, biking. It doesn't matter. The same could, could be said for your car tire, your motorcycle tire, you yeah. name it. Yeah. Yeah. So you have followed this uh, evolution and this recent uptick in research and, and uh, thought put into tire pressure. Absolutely. What then do you recommend to people as they try to think about this, as they're learning themselves what to do with tire pressure? Well, the first recommendation I would make is don't buy a thing. Don't mm -hmm. spend another dollar right. until you spend some time actually approaching this scientifically you know you can do what we call bracketing you know where you, you you try it at the highest end at the lowest end and then you find the middle you know you you, you bracket down in and in on what's probably an optimal or at least a better uh, pressure for you it's and then, kind of kind of like sorry to interject but yeah. it's not unlike when you're taking back in the days when you used film in a camera That's you would exactly you it. would bracket the exposure yep. you'd maybe go a little over you'd maybe go a little under and then somewhere in there you'd hit the right exposure that's exactly it 
and that's what that's where i learned the terminology yeah that's how old school i am yep uh in terms of yeah developing film in, in the dark <laughs> exactly room. um similarly though with your tires i think the other thing to have uh, a good understanding of is what what are you bracketing towards what's the end goal and if you're just looking let's say for better control of your bicycle if you're racing criteriums for instance cornering prowess might trump the, mm -hmm. the best actual rolling resistance number for it you know? right um, if you're looking at gravel maybe it's a comfort thing or mountain biking you know it can be more comfort driven so none of those things are are superior to another if you're doing a time trial it's probably rolling resistance is right. what you're really seeking Pure speed absolutely so have an understanding of what your what your goal is and then go about figuring it out and then once you start doing some of that bracketing you might realize that that the product you have on your bicycle might not be best for you mm -hmm. so it might mean a, a, a wheel change because maybe you want a wider rim maybe you want to go tubeless where you had inner tubes before um there are a lot of decisions then that can follow from that it's kind of uh, amazing how complex this can get and a lot of people don't think at all about tires yeah but it's but it's one of those things where and i and i'll i'll repeat it don't buy anything use the things you already have to get better to find something that's better for you make informed decisions is what you're getting at but and also that's, understand, that's nick in a nutshell isn't it i i hope so um <laughs> <laughs> let me think on that for a second um uh, but i think more than anything i think it's really easy to underestimate the effect that tire pressure has on your cycling experience yes it's massive and again you don't have to spend a, a dime in fact you might have to do less work by running a lower tire pressure than you do to pump that thing up rock hard yeah i i i'd hate to call it a bias but i know that mm. you are one of those people that if you were in a group on a group ride mm. and you went around and you used your thumb to give it the 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 pressure check with your thumb like people do yeah people would be like man nick you run your tires low i do absolutely because I'm a, I'm a fan of big tires i'm a fan of lower pressures um for lots of reasons one uh, I'm 155 pounds. Mm -hmm. I'm not a heavy rider. Um, I have knock on wood, very few flats in a given year. Mm -hmm. I, I don't. I'm just not hard on equipment. Yep. So for me, I don't see why would I create more vibration into my system. You mm -hmm. know, you, this is fast talk. You guys have talked about, I'm sure, the effects of vibration on muscul on musculature, right? And how it creates fatigue. Yep. So I'm also not that gifted. So I gotta I gotta pull all the stops, man. Um, I'm going to wax my chain. I'm going to keep my pressure lower so I can just hang with the group. Yeah. You know? Right. So, um, but I do, I run lower pressures. I mean, it's rare. It was, at this point, it's rare that I ride a tire because I'm not road racing mm -hmm. to, to put that out into the world. Yeah. I'm not road racing anymore. I'm not criterium racing. I'm riding the road. I'm riding a lot of gravel. Um, but a 32 mil tire is about the smallest tire I ride anymore. Yeah. Um, and I, which is massive compared to oh, what most people have in their, I had 18, millimeter tires when i was a kid and i was like oh i'm going so fast <laughs> well, and we did we thought that when we spoke with leonard there was uh, there's this mindset you have to overcome mm -hmm. hard equals fast when mm -hmm. you like you were saying earlier if you but, feel yeah. if you feel you're tired doing something that's probably it's too working. high of pressure yeah. whereas it used to be back in the 70s when when leonard was at the peak of his racing career like if you felt every single vibration coming through that bike you felt like you were flying well it's that high frequency yeah and, and we our brain associates that with speed mm -hmm. and it's and it's it's a it's where our brain's trumping us up 
But even when I was running, let's say 25s or 28s, I rarely saw 80 PSI as a, as a very specific example. But these days I rarely see 50. Yeah. So would you say there's as much art as there is science to this still? Uh, there is to some extent because I don't have a lab. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not doing roller tests like Tom on hold. I'm not sending things to, to is it Finland or whatever for the, the yeah, yeah. Um, yep. wheel energy. Wheel energy, exactly. So, and, and I think where the art comes in is a bit with, you know, it, it's one thing to talk about rim width. It's another to talk about tire width, but then you still have tire casing differences. Yes. So I was having a conversation last night with uh, a sponsored athlete for Shimano and that athlete, we were, we were discussing some different tire options for gravel that that athlete is considering for the next season. And he was ex- experiencing some burping at, at, on this given tire with our rim. And what we, I kind of pointed out was that that particular tire, and I don't want to name names in this case, yep. but it, it's a really, really supple tire. Mm-hmm. So for the same feel or the same probably rolling resistance, you can run that pressure a little higher on a really high-end supple casing right. tire right. versus something that's a little more kind of I'm the garden hosey, you know, yeah. something that's just a little more durable and a little less flexible yeah. and probably has a longer wear, like a longer lifespan, but it's not as much of a performance tire. So to get the same kind of equivalent feel um, and handling characteristics, the tire pressures will be different. Yeah. And I think that's where some people get tripped up is that you sure. have to consider all of these factors when you're making your, the optimal choice is not it's not just about pressure anymore it's about casing it's about width it's about rim width it's about surface it's about all of these things mm-hmm. and trying to bring all of that information together to make the the right choice but i would also say don't i mean it it, it is complex complex especially when you start talking to leonard about all the math and the numbers yeah, yeah. i mean he goes all los alamos on it you know he um, he's incredible um but he's also really good at boiling it down and saying, don't let that stop you from experimenting, though. Life mm-hmm. is, gives us this opportunity. Most of us ride, well, I hope we all ride five plus times a week. But each one of those is an opportunity to try something. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's there's no reason not to experiment. Now back to Leonard. So there's one other definition that we haven't spoken about. It's another cool one. It's another physics lesson. Hoop stress. Hoop stress has to do with the relationship between the size of the air chamber and the force on the walls of it, the stress on the walls of it. So actually a good example is, a, is those, those inflatable tennis courts, those, those tennis courts that have a big dome over oh, them. Oh yeah, like the, okay. the, the bubble place where you would go inside yes. and play tennis yeah, in the winter. Yeah, exactly. And, and those things... Or a the, soccer field or a track, these... They look like the Michelin man blown up on. Yeah. yeah. And they're blown up, but you go in there and you don't have the sense, your ears don't start popping like crazy and everything. You don't have the sense that it's a lot higher air pressure in there in order to keep this thing inflated. But you do know that if you were to blow up a much smaller thing, a balloon, for instance, that it's going to take a lot more pressure. It would be that would be something that you would, if you were to somehow be able to climb into that balloon, your ears would pop like crazy <laughs> because you would be aware that it's a lot higher pressure in there. But, but the bigger the surface is, the, the amount that it, that it inflates is related to the stress on each square inch of it. When you have a huge surface, the, the stress is much higher for any given pressure change, the bigger it is. And, and another way to think of it is a, is a vacuum chamber. If you 
were to suck the air out of a small thing, you have a, I used to, there used to be a museum in the town I grew up in where they would create little little vacuum chamber out of aluminum foil. And when, when you grew the, up in a strange town. Yes, I grew up in Los Alamos, New Mexico. <laughs> science museum. Vacuum chambers yeah. laying around on the streets. Exactly. So if you were, if you suck the air out of, to, to go to like literally a zero vacuum on a small thing, let's say the size of a cigar tube, the cigar, a cigar tube, you could probably suck all the air out of that cigar tube if it's an aluminum cigar tube and it's not going to collapse. If you have something the size of a house and you suck all the air out of it, the walls of this house are going to have to be super, super, super thick to not collapse in because, because of this hoop stress thing where you, where the amount of force, the stress on, on, on each individual square inch of it is related to its diameter. It's proportional to its diameter. Um, if you're thinking of a, of a cylindrical or, or spherical thing, when you have a, if you have, and when we're talking about tires, if you have a tire that's a 19 millimeter tire, say, and you pump it up to a hundred and say you pump it to 150 pounds per square inch, it's going to feel quite hard if you have one that's twice as big, so 38 millimeter tire, if you pump that up to 150 PSI, it's now got double the diameter and the hoop stress is double. So the amount of stress on each fiber in there is twice as high. You know that 150 PSI on a 19 millimeter tire, that's starting to push the limits of it. Well, if you put 150 PSI on a 38 millimeter tire. Don't do this. Don't people. do it. It's going it, to, the hoop stress is so high, even though the, the construction can be exactly the same, exactly the same, same material, same construction type, same thickness, everything. That tire will fail. Or if it's a clincher, it'll, it'll fold the walls of the, of the rim out and just blow it right off of the rim. So if the 19 millimeter tire, you're running at 150 PSI, then with a 38 millimeter tire, you'd need to run that at 75 PSI. That would be exactly the same hoop stress. So the tire is just as hard. Rock hard. Rock hard at 75. And there's no reason to go any higher. If you want the tire rock hard and your 19 millimeter tire was rock hard at 150, well, it's going to be rock hard, the 38 millimeter at 75. And then, you know, if you go, what's twice 38 is... 76, 76 millimeter tire, which is, which is uh three inch. Is that three? Yeah. It's like a yeah, 29 plus tire. 29 plus tire. So that would be, have to be half again, which would be 37 PSI would be rock, rock hard. hard. Yes. That tire. Yes. That's why you can get away with, I mean, not get away with, but that's why in a fat bike, when you're running a five inch tire, four PSI is, is yeah. it sounds like, oh my God, that's nothing, but it's plenty yeah and the stress on the, the the hoop stress is actually something inside that tire four is a small number but the hoop stress is is plenty it's not going to roll off the rim you're going to have a good amount of suspension and traction and all of that so it's it's this proportional amount of stress for the given width of a tire and those two are related 
Yeah. Yeah. I was shocked the first time I got on a fat tire bike. The guy at the shop was debating, should we pump you up to three psi or four psi? And yeah, all I'm thinking is, difference. and all I'm thinking is. I think my pump at home starts at like 10 PSI. Yeah, that is yeah. that is the problem with fat bikes. You need a different pump or a different uh, gauge. So related to 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 width, you have to adjust the pressure based on the width first. Like we discussed earlier, when talking about hoop stress. The bigger the tire, the lower you have to run the pressure in order to just maintain the same hardness of the tire. If you're riding a Criterium, you know I'm aware that when I was serious about racing in the early 80s that the pros like in the Tour de France Greg LeMond I remember him crashing in the critical time trial like final time trial of the Tour de France when he was trying to take down Bernardi No and succeeded in doing that he crashed in that time trial he was running 19 millimeter tires at ridiculously high pressure but this is a European course with sharp corners going through little towns and stuff like that and we all thought a harder tire, that a smaller, harder tire, that's going to be the fastest thing. It's definitely the lightest thing to have a smaller tire because rubber is dense, it's heavy. It's definitely not the fastest, and, and it should be clear to anybody that it's not the most traction on a, on a sharp corner. And I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have had that crash in that little town come, making a sharp turn at that high speed if he'd had, you know, say 23 or 25 millimeter tire. And Who would nobody in their right mind would run a 25 back then? Yeah. No, they were racing would. cyclocross on 25s back yeah, then. <laughs> that's, that's right. I, when I first was racing, when I raced cyclocross nationals in 1980, I had 28 millimeter tires. That's, that's, really, that's we hilarious. All, we all had. And <laughs> yep. um, it should be clear that if you're riding a Criterium, a bigger tire is going to give you more traction on the turns. And Criterium is very based on the cornering. And if you can take the corners faster, you have to do less accelerating afterward, you're going to expend less energy. And so that's the first thing. So body weight. And then body weight, the heavier you are, the higher the pressure you need, because what we're, what we're again, what we're talk, talking about is say, we want a certain total amount of surface area on the ground of the tread patch. And so the bigger you are, the, the more the tire squishes out when you sit on the bike with the same amount of pressure in the in the tires the heavier you are the the higher the pressure you need conversely the lighter you are the the lower the pressure you run and so if you're say a 150 pound rider doing a criterium on a pretty smooth road well i'd say a 25 millimeter tire now we're talking about if we talk about hoop stress so if you if if this person say would normally ride 23 millimeter tire at 90 psi well now a 25 millimeter tire is what percentage bigger is that that's two out of 25 is eight percent bigger right so mm -hmm. so right away you have to go eight percent lower so the 90 psi now becomes 82 psi to just have the same amount of hoop stress the same hardness of the tire mm -hmm. and so so right away there if you're going to 23 millimeter tire a pretty smooth road i'd say that would actually be a pretty good setup for a guy at 150 pounds is like 80 psi 80 and again it's the amount of weight that's on each wheel most people put the same amount of pressure in both tires but the fact is you don't have the same amount of weight on each end at best you have probably 60 40 distribution of weight front and rear so you really ought to adjust the the pressure accordingly and have 
say 82 in the rear and 78 in the front, something like that. Right. And, and then you get even performance from both tires. This yeah. is another reason why people should race cyclocross because yeah. we all know that. Yeah. Like we all run different pressures in the front and rear tire. Not not to say that other people don't get that, but it's just a a familiarity thing and a and a just you know second nature that you run a little bit higher in the front in cyclocross yeah. than you do a little in the bit rear. higher in the rear. So, sorry, sorry, yes. Yeah. Well, why don't we why don't we jump to what you've seen in the laboratory, for instance, at this Wheel Energy Lab in Finland. Could you take us there and explain explain the lab, explain they, what they do there, explain sort of the science behind what they're trying to prove over there? The lab, it's called Wheel Energy Oi. Uh, Oi is like incorporated um, in <laughs> Finnish. They are measuring rolling resistance of tires by measuring the amount of power it takes to drive a big drum. So th- you could imagine that the bigger this wheel with a tire on it is rolling on a drum. And obviously the bigger the diameter of this drum, the more it's going to represent what riding on a sure. flat road is like. If you've got a small small drum, then it's just going to be deflecting really deeply into the tire. It's not going to be nearly as representative of what you would see on a flat surface so that's more like riding on a set of rollers in your living right. room yes yeah and you and and if you've done that you're sort of aware like if you run that at really low pressure yeah. of how much resistance right, there exactly. is because it's pushing so deeply into the tire and then that hysteresis curve we're talking about of that rubber then returning to its, its original shape after being so deeply deflected is just a huge energy loss so they have a giant drum and and the drum you can think of it either as 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 have the drum be free to turn and you're driving the wheel or the way they do it is your the wheel is free to turn but the drum is being driven mm-hmm. and then you set the parameters we're going to do test this at 30 miles an hour say so you turn the drum at the speed that the that the wheel would be rolling down the road at 30 miles an hour and you measure how much power it takes to drive it and then you vary the pressure or vary the tire or whatever it is you're looking at. Vary the diameter of the tire or the diameter of the wheel, the width of the tire. A lot of the, variables. The, the tread compound, yeah, whatever it is you're looking at. And then you, um, you, know, you try and compare apples to apples. Like you try and try just, if you're doing tire pressure, you keep the same tire, wheel, everything. And you just keep varying the pressure and measuring how that, how that changes. Then... So that's the first thing about it, but the drum, the drum is, is, it's a big aluminum surface, so it's smooth, and that's not that representative of what you would have on the road. So then, then they have different surfaces that they can then apply to this, to this drum to represent different kinds of, um, of road surfaces. And so the one that we tended to commonly use when we were doing testing with them was diamond plate, which is, you know, you've seen it on metal stairs, you know, it's those mm-hmm. metal stairs that have those little pieces, little diamond shaped raised up sections right. going at different angles to each other. And then, and so that's fairly representative of certainly of a chip sealed road. It's definitely not as much, as much like a gravel road or something, but it's, it's rougher than 
than a really nice road, certainly rougher than a than a than a track that really the only thing that's representative of a good of a good track is probably the smooth roller but then anyway they they have all sorts of different surfaces that they can then wrap around this drum they also can use it to measure grip so they can see as the as the thing is turning they can they can tip the wheel at an angle and then try and push it mm. and see how much force it takes to make it slip where it releases where it releases and then you can change again whatever you want the tread compound or if it's or if the or if the surface is wet or dry or tire pressure or whatever and and see how it affects that they also do things where they have a piece of the that's representative of the same type of material this wheel that's rolling on the on the drum is then weighted with whatever you're going the parameter is you're going to say okay so 150 pound rider is going to have 60 pounds on the front wheel so then maybe mm -hmm. pushing down with 60 pounds or something like that and then and then you could also do the same thing with this clear surface and then and then you push down with the same amount and then you take a photo from underneath and you can then actually have a you have a picture of this contact patch you can you can you can measure the the area of it you can um do a lot of things with it and then especially if you're if you're thinking about this grip deal where you then tip it on edge and you and you see what that contact patch looks like on edge and then see okay we know that that this thing slips when the contact patch gets smaller than mm. this this amount and then smears into a smaller and smaller shape until it releases yeah exactly. yeah you can yeah. find that release point so last year you and i leonard we got the crazy idea to do some testing specific to gravel riding since gravel riding is so hot right now everybody's into it it's one of those arenas where you've got some people coming over from cyclocross or mountain biking who maybe get tire pressure and the fact that lower pressure is actually going to make a huge difference on gravel bikes and then you've got some roadies coming over and they're probably like nah i gotta ha i still have to have 80 psi in my 35 mil tires or 35c tires because you know because pressure um but we had this crazy idea of not only going into the lab at microback and testing on uh their uh, apparatus but also going out onto a, a piece of gravel road and doing some rundown tests uh, i don't know how many laps i did we recruited my dad we recruited some other people we dealt with wind we dealt with a lot of other conditions and variables that we were trying to control for but ultimately we we learned some things so maybe you could describe that test and the payoff at the end of the explanation is we get a sort of a practical answer about what do i do about running what tire pressure do i run on my gravel bike and then we'll get into other bikes and other surfaces Okay, so the one you mentioned was in the lab at Microback. In the lab at Microback, we tried to represent some sort of situation like you'd encounter riding on a gravel road. And in that case, it was um, the rider was riding on rollers, and a couple of the rollers had big bars welded on them, and and. Ridge or we called ridge. it the bump test, didn't yeah. we? Yeah, it was just like yeah. this thick knob on the on the roller itself. So it was an yeah. unpleasant ride. Yep. Yeah. 
then you'd have the rider ride at a certain speed, so in a given gear at a given cadence, on smooth rollers and measure how they have power meter on the bike, measuring how much power it took them to do that. And then you and then you'd put different rollers with different thicknesses of this of this ridge, lengthwise ridge down the rollers and and the rider's getting bounced around. You can tell it's taking more energy because you can hear the noise of the person bouncing <laughs> around and everything. But then measure how much more power it takes for that person to ride the bike at that same cadence and and uh, um, and the in the same gear and then try uh, different pressures and and that was one way to do it. Although the while you can measure it very accurately the question is always well what exactly does that represent this small diameter roller with a big ridge on it that it hits every time that comes around what it, what kind of a road are we simulating and that or like train that. tracks i think if you were riding yeah. down to <laughs> cross yeah. a uh, trestle bridge perhaps if you're doing la Ruta, you're familiar yeah, with this yeah. <laughs> and i have done that but otherwise yeah it's not you don't know what you're what you're what you're simulating so how useful is that in the real world so then we tried to do one that was real world but rolling resistance is generally a much smaller effect on the rider than is wind resistance so you want to separate those two so we were doing it roll down tests so we so that just you have only the effect of gravity on it you have the same the same hill you're rolling down same every time and and you're going from the same point to the same point and but if you just were to measure the speed measure how much time it took to get from point a to point b it's you may not be measuring the tire the rolling resistance of the tire because you'll have um you'll have the wind changes in the wind just all maybe even changes in temperature changes temperature changes right. all of that stuff yeah, yeah you have too many variables so so in this case what we did was we had two riders who who start close to each other but not so close that they're that one of them is drafting the other we had an electric eye that measures catches them when they start and then that catches the spacing between them when they start and then and then catches the spacing between them at the finish and see um, what the what the time if if one rider is catching up on the other rider or is getting further away and by how much and and then we know on actually on that particular road surface which is representative of that one gravel road sure then this is going to be the the tires that were so we were in that particular case we did ones where we had a whole bunch of different tires of the exact same construction but different diameters and we looked first of all at at um different widths at different widths yeah sorry different mm -hmm. widths tire diameter wheel diameter is still the same on all the bikes were the same what one was faster and it's these are small differences in time so it was important to use an electric eye rather than a hand timer because it just there would have been too much error so let's talk some scenarios so let's just go with kind of a default starting point we have a 70 kilogram rider running 23 70 kilo. <laughs> uh, 
I'm 79. 158 pounds. Okay, all right. Yep. So 158 pounds, road race, typical paved surface, running either 23 or 25C tires. For, for both of those, what sort of pressure would you be recommending to them? On a pretty smooth road, you're going you're gonna to probably run... 90 on the rear, 85 on the front with the 23 millimeter and more like 80 on the rear, 75 on the front with the, with the 25 millimeter. And then if the person is 200 pounds, then it becomes more like 100 on the rear and 95 on the front in the 23 millimeter and 90 on the rear. 85 on the front with the 25 millimeter. Wow. Okay. Did you hear those gasps out there? I did. (laughs) It is lower than most people think. What? Yep. Yep. It is. So what about a crit? But this is science. And a crit, you have two things going on with a crit. So on the one hand, lower pressure is going to increase the tire contact patch. You're going to get better cornering. So a bigger tire... So lower pressure is going to be good. On the other hand, you get up out of the saddle and you sprint a lot in a crit. And then if you have a squishy tire, you're losing energy there. You're doing a balance. I think crit riders in general, I don't know if it's just because trackies use such high pressure and people equate it's like crits with riding on the track or something. And and uh hard is fast but, leonard hard yeah, is uh, fast that's, right. that's, the, that's the mentality i think and i think it is and there is a feeling like you you get on a bike with really hard tires and it feels you know it's so bouncy it feels like wow i just feel fast you know you throw the bike back and forth and it's like immediate reaction well it feels fast and feels bouncy because you're doing all the work you know the, <laughs> right. the, right. the ground's bouncing you along and every little one of those little bounces is costing you energy that you put into the bike to get it to get it going and Um, and fatiguing your muscles in some way over time yeah i can draw a parallel with brakes you know it used to be that you know when we all had rim brakes that that people would would get these these red brake pads really really hard you know because they'd grab the grab the oh they didn't like that squish yeah they pull the pull the brakes and it felt wow that's just really that's a hard brake. That's really good braking. Well, it feels that way because you're doing all the work. <laughs> when a squishy pad means you've got this this much greater mechanical advantage, and you're and you're able to actually compress the pad. That means that there's quite a bit more force uh, going into the into the rim, quite a bit more friction, and you actually want a squishy feel to the brake. Uh, indicates higher higher power, not lower power, and so better modulation. Exactly. So it's a similar thing with with the tires in a crit with sharp turns, with a lot of sprinting out of the corner. You you'd probably want a fairly hard tire for the exits from the turns, and just go with a little bigger tire for better grip. So so maybe run 25, and and yeah, the 158 pound guy still probably run maybe 85 rear 80 front something like that and then there you're there's definitely going to be no deflection on that it's a hard tire in that diameter when you're sprinting 
but on the other hand, um, it's a pretty good size contact patch, and and you'll be cornering better than the definitely better than the guys on the 23 millimeter tires at 130 psi that you're gonna right. be racing. <laughs> right, right. Who still killed me? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and the other thing to think about is that we're, what we're talking about for small differences in pressure and similar tire construction and all that, we're talking about differences on the order of a watt or two per per wheel. And when somebody can put out fifty more watts than you, if you're saving four watts, then you know he's still going to smoke you. Yes. <laughs> so. the, the thing that I like to remember is yeah, for for a for a crit that little bit of savings is something but it, it you could uh, essentially negate it with some of these other factors just more powerful rider you take that one corner the right way and it, it's like erases any advantage you had from uh, two, yeah. two watts from the earth but yeah in dirty kanza when you're racing for 12 hours yes and you're running you're running 60 psi in your 40 uh 40c tires and that is just abusive to your body you're just you're you're wasting a ton of energy because of all of these physical factors we've described whereas the guy running or the girl running 30 psi has a huge advantage uh not only in terms of rolling resistance but in terms of comfort cornering grip etc you extrapolate that over 12 hours it's massive yep yep we're in a crit personally if it's a really technical crit i'm willing to say i'll accept a few more watts in order to be able to get around the corners a little better and not have to worry about sliding out right yeah. exactly yeah. time trial and not a technical time trial. We're just talking about standard out and back. Maybe you got a couple turns. That's about it. So on a time trial, you, of course, have to think about the aerodynamics first. That's the most important thing in a time trial. And clearly, the bigger the tire, the more aerodynamic drag there's going to be on it. So you also have to have a rim that is mated to that tire size. So, you know, airplanes fly... Big a big airplane. The bigger the airplane, the bigger the the thicker the wing is. So it's clear that you can have pretty low drag of a wing with a big frontal area if you have the shape behind it be right. So you can get away with a pretty big tire aerodynamically if you have a rim that matches that is, it. Matches well. it. But if you if you don't, if you have this big step, you got a big tire sitting on a skinny rim, then then there's going to be all this turbulence there, and and that's going to maybe way more difference than the tire ever could the first thing always in a time trial think of aerodynamics and then and then assuming that you have a tire that's matched to the rim then yeah 25 millimeter tire there is a little more weight but in a time trial it's um once you get it up to speed they're actually is no difference it's just the initial acceleration and 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 you if it's a straight out like out and back time trial, there's only two accelerations at the start and at the turnaround. And so so otherwise it's just steady state riding. And then you're just talking about reducing the rolling resistance. So you're going to be better off on, you know, most roads have more roughness than you would think. If it seems like it's a pretty smooth road, you're still probably going to be faster on a 25 millimeter tire with something like 75 psi in the rear and 70 in the front you're 
you're not going to lose anything by it if the rim is is mated to it and if not you know if you got to go 23 millimeter tire in order to have have a rim that matches it better than probably 80 psi in the rear 75 in the front and what i talked about earlier comfort being a good judge of efficiency that if you're rolling along and your elbows are not getting bounced around on the elbow pads because the tires rolling smoothly across the ground that's saving you a bunch of energy you know both in concentration and in your muscles being beaten up by getting bounced around so if you're you're trying to trying to be on a magic carpet if you can be on you know and just go smooth and have all the little little ripples in the road just get absorbed in the tire and not get pushed up into your elbow pads Now, so we just talked about the three types of standard road racing. Does rain impact these? That's a good question. To get the tire to stick to the road when you're cornering, you want to have as much of the tire on the road as you possibly can. And and so it's really going to depend on how much rain there is. If the road is just a little bit wet, it's going to be better to have a bigger, broader surface to contact it. If it's a situation where you have a thick layer of water, like, you know, where, where you're really shooting up a lot of water up onto your feet and everything, and you, you're basically pushing a wave along, then what you want to do is cut down through that. You want a skinnier tire at a higher pressure to get down to actually the ground and not, not be hydroplaning, not be right. floating up on it. And there's a similar argument if you're riding like cyclocross or mountain bike in the mud. Most of the time, you'd you'd probably be using really, really, really low pressure. Like cyclocross, you never talk about width because everybody uses 33 millimeter width for everything. Right. But in most mud conditions, yeah, okay, you want to have, usually in cyclocross, you don't talk about tire width because everybody's using 33 millimeter width tires. You talk about tire tread and you talk about pressure in mud yes you want a a deep tread that that digs into the mud and grabs the mud but also releases it easily has big spaces between it so that the mud can get back out but in terms of pressure if it's really greasy and slippery yeah you're going to be running really low pressure like you know a 150 pound guy might be like 14 psi it's like ridiculous how low for a 33 millimeter tire basically a road bike but they're going to run that pressure if they have lots of wheels if they got if lots they have of wheels, one yeah. set of wheels they might want to uh, bump it up a little bit so they don't crack them that's but true anyways and, al- and also it does it is does depend that they they, mu- they have to have a, a tubular tire for that sure, if you sure. do that on a clincher you'll just ruin the rims the the, sh- the rim walls um immediately but yeah you really run low pressure but if you've got deep mud you actually, the same way we're talking about hydroplaning, you really want to cut down, like you think of pounds per square inch. Well, you want to get some of those square inches actually into the ground. And so a tire that cuts down deeper into it is going to be better, that you're going to run higher pressure if it's really deep mud in order to get down and find something to bite into instead of spreading it out over this really mushy stuff on top mountain bikes a lot of these arguments are the same with mountain bikes that if you mountain bikers just like they're using more and more suspension travel every year 
there tend to get wider and wider tower tires and also you know tire the the wheel diameter you know it's fairly clear that people that are racing cross country where they're trying to certainly minimize their rolling resistance that that a bigger tire a bigger diameter tire is going to roll over 29 inch wheel doesn't fall into a 26 inch hole that uh mm -hmm. you're gonna you're gonna roll over you're effectively over. smoothing out the ground by that larger diameter just yes in the same way uh, the a larger drum doesn't smash into your tire on the roll set of rollers or the the test that we were describing earlier it's the the back the the reverse of that in a way yeah or if you're if you've got a heavy wheelbarrow load and you have a really rough area that you're rolling it over lot real rocky if you have little tiny wheels on that wheelbarrow it's going to be really hard to push it compared to one of those ones that has a huge mm -hmm. huge wheels so that's the first thing is to think about the the wheel diameter and then tire width. I think people have been, you know, when the first 29er tires came out, it was 29 by two inch. That's what everybody used. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, then it went to 2.2 .2 and 2.35 and 2.4. And now it's 29 plus, which is a three inch tire. And that may not be used for cross country racing because of the weight and other you know, that's the major consideration. People are generally amazed that have been riding, say, 2.3-inch tires, and they get on the 3-inch, and they are amazed at how fast they go. In order to maintain a similar hoop stress, you're going to be running a lower pressure the bigger the tire you go to, that if you go from a 2-inch tire to a 3-inch tire, and say you were running that 2-inch tire, say, at 30 PSI, well, now you have to run it at the 3-inch tire at 20 PSI to be at the same the mm -hmm. same hoop stress. I, I think that's an important point, honestly, about all of this is the fact that you might have to experiment a little bit with this stuff to sort of overcome your bias and also just get comfortable at lower pressures. Particularly, not, not obviously, you don't, on a road bike, you're not going to run low pressure so that there's a different sensation. But effectively or to be most effective in something like cyclocross or mountain biking and stuff like that, you, you will run pressures where at times your, your, your tire will squirm underneath you and it's a different feeling. So to get the most out of your tires, performance-wise, comfort-wise, on, on rougher surfaces, it means running pressures where cornering is going to feel different. Yeah. It takes some getting used to. But the point being... Just experiment with this stuff and overcome some of those. Nah, that's not possible to have your tires only pumped up to 75 psi in a 25c tire and still be fast. Like, yeah. it's true. It, it it's it's going to be. Well, there, yeah. there's a huge perceptual component that we all have. You you think smaller is faster, yeah. and you think higher pressure is faster. Yeah, hard is fast. Yeah, the the science just doesn't line up with that but you have to get across you know it's one of these things where it's just perceptually if you go with your gut instinct it's that that's what you think mm -hmm. and you have to kind of fight what your gut's telling you a little yeah. bit for decades you probably did this you probably ran those silk tubulars at 130 psi and they were rock hard and they felt fast but it took some time for you to overcome that and and some people are still fighting that urge to 
have their tires be rock hard because it has this sensation of being fast. But all we're saying is yep. drop it down a little bit. Try it out. <laughs> That's right. And you, and if you, you really do, like Chris said, have to get used to that squirm feel when you start pushing the limits of what, of pressure where you really are getting down low enough. For instance, in cyclocross or mountain biking, a lot of times you have, you're riding on a side hill where you need traction on, on the side of something. And it should be pretty obvious to you that if you have that tire really pumped up hard, you're going to slide right off that side hill. Right. And if you have, and if you have it really low, you're going to be able to, the tire will be able to conform to it and, and you'll be able to ride across something where other people have to jump off and run. And um, that'll make a huge difference. E even if the rolling resistance were higher, the fact that you're riding and they're running, that's yeah. going to make a big difference. And it's a very weird feeling at first, for sure, to be, you know, in my case, 175 pound person riding a 25 PSI in a 33 millimeter tire. It feels squirmy when you come into a corner hard. And if and, and when you're on pavement, oh, yeah, it feels ridiculous. Yeah. You're like, there's no yeah. way this will work. It, it's just like you feel like you're trying to turn a tractor. It's like, yeah, what is yeah, this yeah. hard feeling of, you, you know, because you have so much tire contact patch that you're just forcing this tire contact patch to twist on the road. Right. And right. It feels horrible. But if you were, if you were a kid, you'd say you were riding on flat tires. Yeah. yeah right. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. but you're not. So we've already talked about gravel a couple times. We mentioned, um, the, the testing that we did, Leonard, we talked about dirty Kanza and how much you save over such long races and a lot, a lot of gravel races, not just dirty Kanza, a lot of gravel races are really long events. So you're extrapolating these savings out over a huge length of time, but what's the takeaway there for, for gravel racers? Yeah, I, I would say the best takeaway is run a lot lower pressure than you think, uh, than you think you ought to. And you mentioned Dirty Kanza. I mean, I think one thing about Dirty Kanza is that there's these really sharp pieces of flint, the flint hills of Kansas, and they're sharp. And you can imagine how much harder the tire hits that if the tire is pumped up hard than if it's soft. People get a lot of flat tires in Dirty Kanza. They cut a lot of tires. And if you can avoid that, you're going to be faster too. The less, the fewer tires you have to change, the faster your time's going to be. Just impacting those, those flint, sharp flint things more softly is going to behoove you in terms of um, the durability of the tire as well. Well, Leonard, we want to put you on the spot. We want to, you know, this is years and years of, of, tinkering and thinking and researching this subject but what are the major what are the main take-homes that people should take from this episode about zin and the art of tire pressure if you hop on your bike and it feels really bouncy and fast your tires are probably too hard <laughs> that you you if you get on the tire bike and the bike feels squishy and comfortable that's probably where you want to be just like with your brakes. If brakes feel squishy, they're probably better brakes. <laughs> <laughs> this runs counter to a lot of things that most people yeah. have in their in their minds. Yeah. Yeah. But science bears it out. Trevor, do you have any thoughts here? 
I'm not sure I have anything to add. I'm actually remembering back a long time ago when I was a Cat 5 and being really excited because I had won a Cat 5 race and then checked my tire pressure because, of course, when you're a Cat 5, you check your tire pressure after the race. Of course, of course. And I was at 85 PSI and I was bragging to all my friends, can you believe that? I won the race and I was only at 85. <laughs> and now with what we know, that probably helped me. Yes, it probably did. Mm -hmm. So really all I have to add is there's many years and just this perceptual thing that makes us think thinner is better, uh, higher pressure is better. And it's just not the case. Get over the perception, get over that years of gut that you have developed and and listen to what the science is saying i guess my final thoughts would have to do with fully appreciating the beautiful tire i think it's a neglected un misunderstood part of uh riding bikes there's a lot to be gained there we're, we're sometimes we're talking about sort of small um changes in the watt savings but it it, it really is a lot more than that we're talking about this this uh, sort of fine mixture of grip versus comfort, uh, rolling resistance versus vibration, energy savings versus um, track, you know, traction. All of these factors go into it. We didn't even talk about um, compounds that much. We we talked a little bit about the width of rims and how they made up with with a specific tire when it comes to time trialing but honestly rims just continue to grow and it's changing how people ride and it's changing what tires they want to ride because they get they can maximize the the benefits that you're we're getting out of new new constructions or new new materials and, and this sort of thing so my my take home is really to fully appreciate the often neglected tire That was another episode of Fast Talk. As always, we love your feedback. Email us at fasttalk at fastlabs.com or call and leave a voicemail at 719-800-2112. Subscribe to Fast Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, or wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcasts. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our handle is at RealFastLabs. For Leonard Zinn, Nick Legan, and Trevor Connor, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening.